on this show. And it's um, we're going to have a little chat about the funeral world and maybe some things will surprise you. Maybe some things will make you think, why haven't we spoken about that with people we love? So let me let you introduce yourself. Hello. Good morning, Hilary. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, my name's Becky. I am a funeral director. I'm based in Wiltshire and I look after four funeral homes. And I've been a funeral director for coming up 18 years now. Um, and I always just knew I wanted to do that. I can't quite explain how I just did. My mum was a nurse. I wonder whether she might have had some influence, but uh, I just knew I wanted to care for people. And um, thanks to some help from my teachers at school, I was able to get a placement at a funeral director's when I was 15. And uh, I just fell in love with the whole role. I fell in love with all of it. The first day I was there, I just knew I wanted to do that. And it was a female funeral director that took me for two weeks. Uh, wow. She was phenomenal. She was so just inspiring in every way. And she was just she was due to retire soon as well. So she was kind of winding down. She was sharing all of her stories with me and, you know, what she'd achieved and what she loved. And I just knew I wanted to do that. So um, left college and worked my way up, started as an operative, so a, a bearer, chauffeur bearer, which turned some heads here in the um, traditional Wiltshire uh, sort of countryside. Um, they weren't really very short to make me at first, but the longer I sort of was, was there, the, the more I showed I was prepared to roll my sleeves up. They accepted me and um, was able to move up through the ranks and, and learn everything, you know, still learning, you know, learn every day. So, yeah, that's me, really, I suppose. <laughs> so you started off, Short literally, um, you started off like driving the hearse or the limo for the families and then actually yeah. carrying the coffin to the church or, or wherever. I think I drove the hearse two days after I passed my driving test. I was driving a hearse. Wow. Straight in. So um, I had to get used to a big car very, very easily. Um, I'd had a few bumps in the first year or so. But, um, yeah, I got there. (laughs) Okay. So from from that role, where was the next step on the ladder for you? Um, The next sort of step, and it was about two years into being a bearer, I accepted a role as a trainee funeral director. Um, Actually, it was with the co-op because they offered a really good training package, a BTEC, that was um, really really good in the industry amongst the others. So I did training with them for two years and stayed there for another two years, but was wanted to come back and work in a community that I could live and work in and be part of, a smaller community. Um, and then moved here about eight years ago and um, really got stuck in. I moved here. I, I live and breathe this community. And, and now I'm sort of the funeral director that I always wanted to be, you know, with my, um, you know, some fantastic local colleagues. And, um, yeah, that's it really, I suppose. So for those that have never had to organise a funeral, it's probably, they'll be listening to this going, oh, my goodness, you know, the thought would just scare the knife out of them, excuse the pun. Yeah, but so what, what, Talk me through what happens if someone calls up to the funeral home to, you know, to, to come and collect their, their deceased loved one. Talk me through what happens then. Um, I suppose it depends, what, depends where they've um, passed away. It depends um, if they're at home, if they're in a nursing home or in a hospital. There's a slightly different process for each one. But we can be called and notified immediately regardless as to where they are. If they're in the hospital, they'll usually be taken care of by the, the mortuary team at the hospital. But at home... Um, usually it would be when the doctor has been over to verify that person's past. So normally they'll be receiving care from a, from a palliative team or a community nursing team. So they're going to have medical professionals in and out of the property while that person is is living their last days. So really, um, you know, we will be there at any time that they want us to come. 
So say if someone passes away in the middle of the night, they might want to keep mum at home a bit longer, spend some time with her. We can come in the morning. Or we can be there as soon as an hour. And we, um, two of us usually come with uh, an ambulance, similar to what an ambulance would use for the NHS, a similar structure, similar equipment, and um, take them back to our premises, to the chapel of rest. Um, but I do try and get people to maybe just not rush us coming, have some quiet time at home, adjust, spend mm-hmm. some time with them. And I can come, you know, a funeral director can come and make them comfortable and, and have them a little wash and tidy up so they can be be kept at home for a little while that day if that's what people want. People are frightened to do that, but it's really cathartic. It's a really special, peaceful time. Um, so, yeah, we and same with the nursing home, same process. The doctor would come and check that the person has passed and, and sign everything and we would then come either within an hour or when it's suitable for the team at the nursing home and the family. So... Yeah, and that's it. We we had 365 days a year, 24-7, that service is available from any local funeral director. That's that's a good thing to know, really, because, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that you you know you have to deal with, especially if someone has passed away at home. But what it is lovely to know that you, you said something there that you could help prepare the body and maybe give them a little wash if people then to come and pay their, their last respects in, in that moment which is um, lovely because there is, of course, another option for people to uh, view uh, their loved one, isn't there, once they're in the funeral home? Absolutely, yeah. And we um, during COVID, things were a bit challenging with that, but we're still able to offer that service. And again, we particularly offer that service at any time that the family wish, evenings, weekends. You know, we're looking after their loved one for them. Um, I feel like there's no restrictions. You know, they can come in whenever they want, as, as often as they want. And um, we, we very much, you know, sort of um, make sure that they've got that option at all times. So what happens then once the um, once the person has arrived with you and is in your capable hands and your care, what do the family then have to do next to get the funeral arrangements going? Probably one of the first things that we get them to look at doing is to register the death. Um, and that's a slightly different process in different areas. But generally... Um, a doctor who's been looking after their loved one during that last illness will prepare a death certificate and um, a cause of death certificate, which gets submitted to the local registration office. In the minute, it's all done electronically. It's amazing. It's really efficient at the moment. Um, <laughs> and they're going to be asked a series of questions by that registrar over a phone call at the moment. And, and they will include questions like, what was the last occupation? Um, and we ask them to gather some certificates ready for that process. So birth, marriage, death certificates um, and NHS number and national insurance number, because actually that process now helps you tie up all sorts of loose ends. Um, so things like pensions and disabled badges and, um, you know, and benefits and things. It actually does all of that in the same appointment, which is really good. And it means that everything gets tied up quite quickly. Um mm-hmm. After that's happened, we then usually make an appointment to see the family face-to-face to start to run through the arrangements and to also look at booking a date for the funeral. And that can be one visit, can be five visits, um, can be one hour, can be four hours. There's no set way of doing that. Some families need lots from us. Some families uh, would like to do a lot themselves. So it's not one size fits all, um, but the process would start very soon after registration to make the arrangements. Okay, when when people come in and they have absolutely no clue what is involved in a funeral service, certainly what options are available to them, how do you find yourself being able to match what 
options there are with the family or guiding them through maybe something they wouldn't have thought of, for example? I mean, our, our, my role is obviously is co- to coordinate every aspect of the funeral and to understand each option available for, for that aspect of the funeral. And the more you learn about someone, the more questions you ask, you spend the first little while just chatting with them, finding out about what, who they were, what they enjoy, what do they love. You know, and if you go to people's homes, you can ask questions about what you can see on the walls, about pictures. Then I think you're in a better position to start to guide the family through some choices that would be right for them and really personalise it, make it really fitting. Um, and I think a good funeral director should always, you know, shouldn't just have the same one size fits all funeral service. It's actually what can I do? It's a bit innovative, a bit outside the box, something that can make their day really special and, you know, unforgettable in the best possible way. Um, so I, I think that's what we try and achieve when we see a, see a family. So, Isn't that the wonderful thing, though, the, at the end of a funeral when someone comes to you and they say things like, that was absolutely such a wonderful funeral. That's probably one of the loveliest funerals I've ever been to. And it's it's yeah. for their loved one. And it's, it's almost like they have a, a moment of guilt that they can't say that. But when they've worked with someone like yourself, where they've been nurtured through the process, and that is the limbo period, isn't it, from someone of dying course. to actually then the funeral. And then when they've got to that point to be in a position to embrace that they've had a real celebration or they've done justice to the person, they've fulfilled wishes. It's a lovely sentiment that it's okay to laugh, it's okay to smile, it's okay to to everything. I mean, that's got to be such a a powerful energy transfer in a way between what you do and the grieving family who are in emotional limbo. It's healing, you know, laughter and colour and you know, um, sort of fun and those things that people are frightened to incorporate into a funeral, I feel like I could give them the confidence to do that and in the right way. And in a way that when you come out, they feel uplifted, you know, they feel like they've celebrated, they feel like they've, you know, and they don't come out feeling heavy and mournful. They feel like, you know, they they can move forward. And that is a very hard thing to achieve. But if you are able to do that, it's really special. And people do come out and say, that's just the most amazing funeral. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? You know, and it's yes, like, yes, you are, you know, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, you and I both know that's a really special feeling when that happens. Yes, yes. Um, have you had some, like, share, could you share maybe a couple of off-the-wall um, off kind of requests that you've had for a funeral that people might think, oh, that's so not traditional, but it just shows that you can diversify yeah, um, I think one of the ones that stands out the most is um, when we had a, a funeral and we did it in the person's home. You know, we had a beautiful marquee set up and um, some beautiful flowers and actually some live music. And um, it was just so special. It was really unique. And there was chickens running around, you know, in between <laughs> the, the moors. And it was set up like a giant picnic. People were sat on picnic blankets with some of her favourite food, some of her favourite music. But it wasn't really a funeral. It was a it was a celebratory picnic. You know, everyone was chatting and laughing and sharing stories. There was some books being handed around and things, memories. And it was a really a special afternoon, you know, and everyone raised a glass as the sun was going down and the coffin was there. You know, everyone came and added a bit of something from the garden to the coffin and spent time, you know, yeah, sort of with each other. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And when they said we want to have it at home, but I don't think we can. I said, well, of course you can. There's no, excuse me, there's no rules, really. We we have them in community centres. We have them in uh, function rooms, in barns, in the back of pubs. You know, we've done them everywhere because 
the community here feel that that's something that they wanted to do and and, and we did it and it was they're, they're amazing some of them really that's fascinating that's interesting that you don't actually have to go to a chapel or a church no. to have the no. ceremony you have it outside wow, that's if you want you can have it we've had it in we had it in the back of a pub and it was his favorite pub and they set the back room up for us and we put him on the pool table because that's where they wanted him and people come and put a drink on his coffin and by the time we finished this coffin lid was full of shots of whiskey and I'm thinking well what am I supposed to do with all this now we take it all off and but they were all just saying is a drink for you and it was in his favorite place with his favorite people it was magic you know but people don't realize you can do that that is special that is special yes it's um it is fascinating I mean I've um I haven't done it in a community centre as a celebrant, obviously, but um when I did do it at someone's home where they were buried in their garden, we did a home yeah. burial, which really? I was absolutely fascinated with that. And it was such a beautiful view. And because it's their land, it's unlikely to be built upon. Um, but there was something it was cold, but it was something it was really serene about it. And I was I was I sounds wrong to but I was so excited for them because they adored this lady, and then she's laid to rest in front, and they can they've set up a little um, like tribute garden to her, and oh, so that it's wonderful. all lovely. It's a purest yeah. tribute, I think, to have someone in their own land, you know, rooted into their land and their home, and that's really beautiful. And um, we'd get that occasionally here, not very often, but when it happens, you're right. It's it is beautiful. Yeah, you remember. It's um, I consider myself a storyteller uh, for the people that I work with. And it's like with you, you're asking the right questions. When you go to someone's house, you're looking around for, for things of interest. Like you look behind me, you'd start talking about musical theatre, probably there's a good chance. But you can easily glance at something. And I, I remember doing with one family and they said, oh, we don't know much about her. And I said, OK. So I looked around and I started, we were in the lady's house. And I looked around and saw some things. And then they start talking. And I was, go- I was thinking at the beginning, I'm going to struggle to be able to create a nice eulogy or a tribute to her. Oh, no. Once they'd started... I started talking about the little things in life, the insignificant things, not the big gestures, the moments, the memories, the things to share. The whole conversation changed and it was actually a really lovely ceremony that I thought was going to be quite difficult to put together. But that's that's getting to know, you know, knowing the people. And also with the celebrant led one, you can have religious content or not religious content. And it's now broaching, broaching that subject. So you really can have whatever you want within a funeral. And and also, you know, no disrespect to yourself because you are probably one of the most loveliest celebrants I've spoken to. But <laughs> some families want to take it themselves, but don't really know where to start. But they really want to, and I like it when occasionally families go, "We really do want to do this," and I can guide them through taking the service all themselves. You know, mm. and when they achieve that, it's not for everyone, but when they achieve that, um, that's quite special as well. When when families take complete lead, not for everyone at all. It, it's not easy. But when that's done, that's quite a nice touch as well. And the family just take it all and scoop scoop everything up and do it themselves as a unit. You know, that's lovely. Yes. And um, I mean, there's tributes that can be done. So we mentioned earlier about flowers and, and there's some quirky ideas that people use with floral tributes, aren't there? They're not just a, a simple coffin spray, which are beautiful, by the way. But there's so many more options that people have to, to brighten or to... Um, have charity money, you know, donations for charity or to create some phenomenal, like, for example, um, I attended a funeral as a, in the congregation where the guy was very much into his garden allotment. So his coffin spray was fruit and veg. We've had that. It looks great, doesn't it? It sprouts and carrots in. It's fantastic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's right for them. You know, it yeah. really is right. And I think 
what we don't when we don't talk about it i mean i'm guilty of it too uh, i'm i've only just started to put down on paper what i would like if something happened to me at my funeral now that might change as i watch more musicals you know the music would change and stuff but we don't have the conversation but once i started having the conversation with my other half about my funeral we were giggling I said, oh, I could do a video, could have a video up on the tribute of me going, no, 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 or whatever. It's what comes up, isn't it, in, in the yes. conversations. And it like, like you just said, it, it takes that sting, it lightens it, you know. And God forbid anything happened to you, your partners will have remembered some of what you want. And, and that would be a comfort to know that, you know, they've got something to, to go on of what you would want. And those conversations don't happen enough between family and friends. They just don't. And like no. you said, you can have a laugh with them. They don't have to be heavy serious conversations you know you can you have a bit of a laugh with it absolutely chippendale bearers <laughs> to carry you in and put you on the catafalque you could you could do you know that there are there are options and you, can, and you think, probably could do that <laughs> you're really good <laughs> it's um i think obviously we've um we've both been working in an industry that has been exceptionally strange over the whole covid over the pandemic and we've unfortunately had to work with families who maybe haven't been able to say farewell and still being able to bridge that to create that memorially, that wonderful feeling for them from start to finish. When remember this time last year, we were only allowed six people to attend a, a funeral. And um, how how did you and your team manage to maintain your own outlook and your own motivation to support all these families? It was probably the hardest few months of my entire career and my life. I think my team and I probably didn't have a day off for about, I don't know, 12, 13 weeks. We just went mm -hmm. solid. It was really scary. Um, but knowing that we were still able to serve our community and do something that, that meant something to them, knowing that we could still, you know, be working and, and making a difference, that's probably what motivated us. There were days that I thought, you know, I'm not quite sure we're going to get through this. This is really, this is really awful. And the suffering, the, the, the grief that we were dealing with was like nothing I've ever seen because people weren't able to ever see their loved ones for weeks. They died alone, completely mm. alone. And trying to support people through that, um, that was so challenging. But I'd like to think that we made a difference, that we did for those families that did have the most horrific time that we were able to do a couple of little things that were a bit special. Although we had restrictions, we tried really hard to think outside the box about how we can make things feel special for people still. And um, and I think we're going to spend some time now, late summer, to plan some really special memorial services. Mm -hmm. you know, we, I promised people that the minute they were ready and things were a bit calmer, let's let's do some really special celebrations of life you know and I think that's something we're going to put some really focus on to continue to support his families and to help them provide a celebration that they would have really wanted but you know people are I think they'll have that recovery time from what happened mm. then and then actually an opportunity to celebrate and say thank you for for what they had in the summer late summer you know I think it's going to be a really special time for them so we're yeah we'll hopefully do some nice nice services for people so things calm down slightly for you now that you're able to breathe a little bit more uh, dramatically yeah it was kind of overnight really strange it happened overnight a second wave that, that, you know it just happened it just came it was really strange I mean it sort of stopped as quick as it started really yeah. odd I mean we had to convert all our spare garages into emergency refrigeration you know we usually looked after 20 funerals a month maybe per branch at one stage I was looking after 90 deceased in one moment 
Uh, and it was um, it, it was it was very difficult. But we are, I would say, back to very much normal normal figures now, and it has allowed the team to have a bit of a breather. So um, it seems lucky. like it seems like your team all kind of mucked in together, and they you know, were phenomenal. They were. Yeah. I'm so proud of them. I can't explain how proud I am of how hard they were, of how dedicated they were. And we all had the same focus, which was our families. And that united us and bonded us even closer than we were before. But it, it was sleeves up. Everyone was just, let's just do the best we can right now. Let's just do it, you know. Yeah. And, we, and, and we, we worked really hard, but it wouldn't have happened without all of us working together. But that's a team that you obviously you've built and created which is, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? (laughs) If someone, male or female, if someone was thinking of going into the funeral industry and were maybe having thoughts like you'd had when you were younger, what advice could you give them to perhaps get a foot in the door or or where should they maybe look first of all? Really good question, actually. And it's it's a bit easier now, especially as a a woman as well, to come into the industry. But... um, the best thing to do really is to try and touch base with your local funeral home and learn about who is which funeral homes are around you and learn about which ones, you, the kind of funeral home you might want to, to look at working with because they're all really different. It's important. It's the right type of you know business. Um, and also the National Association of Funeral Directors, who are our governing body, they do have a couple of little taster qualifications available on their website. It's not a lot of money. You do like a, an online course to give you an introduction into the industry it's actually really good um and it's just good to get a feel for the kinds of things that you know you might be expecting if you're going into it um but really just you know try and make sure you you get in touch with your local funeral home start to talk to them and and find out about them and you know form those connections with people in the business you're locally to you and you'll find that most of them are willing to share what they do We're, we're not scary people we don't you know, we don't bite. Um, and most of us are, are always willing to share good practice and to share what we do. We're proud of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are some qualifications you can do once you've started, but you can't do that until you've got a job. So I think the idea would be to try and find some, um, you know, some positions available and start. There's two ways of coming into it. Either as a funeral arranger, which is probably predominantly administration based in the office, when you've got like an operative role, which is quite hands-on, and that's preparing the coffins, the deceased, the driving, the carrying. Now, I found that I learned more from starting in that position than I did the administration. That's come. That's that's just happened as I've gone on and learned. But I mm-hmm. think it's important to get the skills as an operative and to understand that role first. So I suppose that would be my only advice, really. Oh, it's lovely. You mentioned the governing body um so it's um is, is it a self-regulated industry the funeral it's actually not regulated at all it's it's um they're sort of um an association that that most of us are members with we have a code of practice and um um we are governed by the 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 um, financial conduct authority because of the funeral plans we sell but actually the industry isn't regulated you don't have to be a member a good funeral director should be really because it forces them to work to a code of practice, mm-hmm. which I think is really important in our industry to maintain that continuity of standard of care. But actually, mm-hmm. there isn't an official governing body for us. Really, they're just a, a professional association, but they have a lot of um, a lot of funeral homes are um, you know sort of members with them. So, oh, nice. most people don't realise that, do they? 
No, no, they don't realise it. No. But I think I think there's such a pride within the industry. Um, Definitely. And when you start looking deeper into it, and we met on a funeral forum on social media, and when you start looking at, at how people are sharing information, and you get a feel for how proud and the real sense of that that massive heartbeat behind behind what's going on. So you're not the sort of funeral director that if people see you in Salisbury that they look at oh across the street and she is, you know you're you're not the scary you're not the, it's not a scary no. role is it it's it's actually no. I think it's quite austere in a way but it's the, the ceremonious side is very formal in a way but the actual to be good at this role you really have to have empathy and be able to understand what's going on with the family you don't have to necessarily gush over them you know in their grief you need to be that level-headed you know, to keep the professionalism. But you, I think to succeed, you have to have a deeper understanding perhaps of human nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a privilege to be involved in a role like this because you'd think that we were, I don't know, maybe sort of grumpy and miserable people because what we do, but it's the opposite. It, it, understanding and accepting death, it, it gives life. It makes you feel alive, you know. And mm. I'm as a, as a team, we're not particularly, you know, sort of a quiet team. We're quite cheerful we're quite bubbly we're quite open we're quite approachable because we you know that's not people don't need us to be you know sort of heavy and um and down and low we want to lift people um and we obviously look after people in different ways depending on the type of people they are we don't again not one size fits all some families Mm -hmm. need us lots of cuddles and tlc and lots of sort of um closeness and some families they need you to be very professional, very businesslike, mm. and that's how they would like to deal with you. And you, you adapt, you know, with different families. But I'm lucky enough that I've got quite a few families over the years that I now call friends, that I, I stay in touch with, that I form a bond with. Not not all the time, but a few that I call friends now. And um, oh, I, think, I think that's really special. You wouldn't expect to arrange a funeral and connect and make a friend. Um, and we're, we're just a really friendly team. You know, we, we try to be smiley and friendly. We're not disrespectful. But we no. want to try and lift people and look after them, you know, in, in a friendly way. So I think that works well. I understand that. I am. Um, I worked with a family where, unfortunately, it was a lady's husband. Um, we did the funeral, and we've since done her father his funeral. And as a life celebrant, I've been asked to do the family uh, a wedding, one of the daughters' wedding. Amazing. Which That's is lovely because they said that you have a connection with the family that another celebrant wouldn't have. And so I'm actually going to have the family meeting with the mum and the two sisters at my house and like the pizza oven and inviting them to my home to actually organise it. It's amazing. You wouldn't expect that that, no. could, be, that could be achieved. And, and it doesn't get achieved every time, but it's no. great when you meet people like yourself that you see it is being achieved in other places. And, you know, it's wonderful. It's out there. You know, if you're prepared to have a little look for it, I think families maybe think they should go with their same, you know, sort of funeral director that so-and-so's been with. But, you know, I think they should take the time, you know, research your funeral directors. Yeah. They've, they've, some of them have got fantastic websites. Ring them, chat with them. Be, most of them should be happy to talk to you and um, get a feel for what's right for you, you know, because there are really good people out there like yourself that, that you can get hold of. <laughs> so you don't have to. You, you don't actually have to go with a funeral director that's closest to where the deceased no, is, do you? You can Absolutely not. No, gosh, you can use anyone you like, really. There might be maybe some small charges if you're going somewhere right out of, out of range mm-hmm. for them. But other than that, no, you don't, you're not sort of bound to use the one closest to you at all. You know, do, if you feel up to it, do some research. But I think that's a that's difficult. a very good piece of advice for people because um, when it comes down to all of a sudden you have to organise a funeral, no one has read a book that tells you how to organise a funeral at that point. You're suddenly there 
and and it's kind of you've got to know so just to have little snippets of information in your mind think well I can shop around wrong way but I can to where I feel comfortable because if you think about it you know someone's loved one you're you're handing them over to people you've never met before and it's it's a big decision yeah, you want them to feel. You want to feel confident in in what your decision, in the decision you've made. That's absolutely fantastic advice, Becky. It's been lovely speaking to you. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have to cross paths again and and get you back on the podcast. But that's a really lovely insight into you and getting into the uh, into the funeral industry. And I think many people will still be surprised that there are more females involved in the funeral industry as funeral directors than than we may think, which I think that's is wonderful. They are. Yeah, I think power. it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, go power. Great Thank to you talk so to you, much Hillary. Take care. Bye bye.